On The Regenerative Journey, our goal is to nurture and facilitate the lives and journeys of all our followers, which is why we've teamed up with resource consulting service, RCS, Australia's leading provider of education and advisory services in regenerative agriculture. RCS trains and consults across the ag sector, from individuals and families, through to corporates and even government, empowering people to grow productive and profitable businesses in diverse and, importantly, healthy landscapes. They understand that the future of healthy families, resilient communities and regenerative farming lies in holistic education. Over the last 15 years, I've played an integral role in my own regenerative journey. And I have a lot to thank RCS for, and I'm one of 7,500 others who have attended their farming and grazing for profit course. I don't know where I'd actually be, uh, and I certainly wouldn't be this far down my own regenerative journey if I hadn't completed a significant amount of training with the RCS team. I can't recommend more highly uh, RCS to anyone looking to start their regenerative journey in a supportive and proven environment. Terry, Makoska and your team, you absolutely rock. And we're also absolutely stoked to be collaborating with them now. For my listeners only, we're offering a 10% discount on all farming and grazing for profit schools and grazing clinics in Australia this year. If you add this to the early bird rate of a seven-day school, you could get a whopping $1,000 off the standard price. Simply add the code CHARLIERCS, that's CHARLIERCS, that's one word, at the checkout to get your concession. How awesome is that? Now head to the show notes to find out more. The world, you know, feels like it's unravelling and and more and more people are looking to be in a space where they can feel more self-sufficient. And and the the need to be in community and, and safety in numbers, I guess it is, but to be able to grow food and to feel supported and not be alone um, has never felt more important. That was Angelica Arnott and you're listening to The Regenerative Journey. From wherever we are, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia, recognising their continuing connection to this land, its waterways, the stars in the skies since time immemorial. We pay our respects to the elders, knowledge holders and to all the generations of First Nations peoples who have nurtured their unceded sovereign lands for over 80,000 years and continue to do so today. G'day, I'm your host Charlie Arnott, an 8th generational Australian regenerative farmer and in this podcast series I'll be diving deep and exploring my guests' unique perspectives on the world so you can apply their experience and knowledge to cultivate your own transition to a more regenerative way of life. Welcome to The Regenerative Journey with your host Charlie Arnott. G'day and welcome back to The Regenerative Journey. Uh, this episode, the, the, the guest, the subject, the victim of this particular episode of The Regenerative, Regenerative Journey is my wife, Angelica. Uh, but before I, I intro her officially, I just wanted to um, do another little Roma round out my ass, as, as Reese likes to call them. Uh, not too long and not too... I wouldn't want to upset people, would I, by saying things that I... Um, might regret. No, I, I don't ever do that. Well, it, it, there is occasion I do. But nonetheless, as they say, if you don't have a few enemies, you're not having a go. Now, talking about having a go, this is the first time we've had a go of recording in our caravan. Um, it's actually a pretty obvious place to be recording, to be honest, because uh, it's like a studio. It's, I think the sound's good. Reese hasn't sort of, well, he will, if if, if on, on listening to this, he, he might say it's a bit echo, but it feels and sounds pretty good. I'll just turn the light off. Hang on. 
There we are. I don't need that. And uh, so, yeah, studio, mobile studio, awesome, uh, which we'll be spending some time in this caravan in the next couple of months for a number of different reasons. Uh, one of them is to um, run through – run some <laughs> Not host, we're not hosting, other farmers are hosting, facilitating uh, some biodynamic workshops up in Queensland. By the time you good people are listening to this, um, uh, we will be, when it comes out on the 3rd of May, there'll be some workshops up in Queensland, they being uh, the 22nd, 23rd of June at Claremont, uh, and sort of central Queensland there, 25th and 26th, which is actually a weekend at Biloela. Um, check out, for those who don't know where Biloela, Biloela is, how rude, you need to know and get yourself a ticket to that one there. Um, and the 29th, 29th and 30th at Kinkin, which is near sort of Sunshine Coast, the Braes there of Kindly, uh, lining up for another hosting job of our two-day introduction to biodynamics workshop. And in July on the 14th and 15th, of July, uh, Kay Tomer up there um, at her wonderful dairy, a family's dairy um, in the scenic rim, uh, which is kind of border, the border regions. I don't know if I get in trouble calling it the border regions. It's sort of in, in – um, it's in Queensland and it is a um, wonderful part of the world, beautiful. Um, uh, actually, Rose Wright and, and her colleagues put on a wonderful regionality uh, workshop there or conference there last year, nearly about this time last year it was. So there are some workshops you can line up and go and see. What's on my mind this week? Um, look, lots really. Some interesting things have come up uh, on the socials and just in the – not the mainstream media. I don't watch that bollocks um, at all really. And some people go, well, you've got to look at both sides. Well, I don't know that the side that they're being on about is necessarily um, not biased itself. So enough of that. Uh, but what has come up is – um, sort of a, an, an option, from what I understand, and I, I don't, I think it's legit. Is you know the UK government are offering sort of retirement or retirement or kind of um, uh, get off or get out of farming um, packages or payouts or payments, which is interesting because I know that for some time, um, certainly the UK and maybe maybe some of the European countries. You know, which is a, which is different, certainly different sort of approach to what happens here in Australia is sort of subsidies for for product, um, like directly. You know, like if you produce X amount, you'll get paid extra as a subsidy. Or conversely, interestingly enough, if you don't grow it, we'll pay you not to grow it. And I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's about just not having too much supply or oversupply. But there's lots of kind of. Um, uh, re- well, I guess it's regulation. It's a financial regulation. Uh, some some may say positively, and, and farmers getting paid um, paid money not to grow things or to grow things as a as a subsidy from government. You know, I understand that's not something they would they would um, uh, they, you know, they would ignore. But that to sort of offer farmers um, payments to retire maybe earlier than they were going to, or just sort of get out of farming. I don't know what's behind that. I think that's that's. That's that's interesting, and it kind of I think it kind of goes hand in hand with some of the reports coming out of the states of um, they're seeing there being movements to you know um, I don't know how you'd frame it up make cattle farming meat farming beef farming illegal I don't think it's quite the right word to use but <clears throat> certainly putting pressure on and 
Uh, I think there's certainly um, need for more accountability in the industry and meat in general um, on, on, on some levels more than others. However, I think if, if the sort of the whole anti-meat um, movement has got to a point where governments are considering making it very, very much more harder for farmers to, to grow meat and fair-income ones who are doing a good job already um, – and, and 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 you know and also in hand in hand supporting um, things like meat free Monday or you know whatever whatever sort of kind of incentives that universities are some schools some institutions are implementing um, don't get that at all to be honest um, I know I sort of often talk about this whole debate and I am a farmer of beef and and mutton lamb. So some would say I have a vested interest in, in taking a side on this, but I, you know, having said that, I try and remain reasonably objective about the pros and cons and you know where people sit in the argument and why and what their agendas might be. And just, again, looking at the science, it's a pretty well-worn statement, you know, follow the science, you know, trust the science, whatever, but the, the lovely thing is more and more science is actually and, and research and and information is available that supports um, uh, pretty conclusively that, uh, you know, um, animal farming done right, and when I say done right, like a grass feed basis, I'm sticking really to, to sheep and cattle, uh, you know, done well um, in a number of particular ways uh, is a very um, significant tr- contributor to the sequestration of carbon, you know. If that's the problem we're all trying to solve, um, keeping in mind, we've got to keep that cycle, that that carbon cycling. That's the other thing too, isn't it? That we often get caught up in. We're going to reduce emission, which is not a bad thing. Uh, as I might have said before, I think a lot of kind of non-farming conscientious people, whether they and generally they're not farmers and they kind of haven't stepped in that space, and whether that's because meat's involved and cattle and sheep and animals, and that's kind of they get nervous about that. As I might have mentioned, another other other, um, uh, other rants. Um, or they just don't understand it and they just think that, you know, emissions is kind of, if we stop it going out in the atmosphere in the first place, well, that's a good thing. And it's not a bad thing at all. Um, but then, you know, the whole other side of the equation in the cycling, which is as important as anything, is cycling of carbon. It's, the, you know, the building block of life. Um, then we've got to consider that, um, you know, sequestering that carbon back into the ground um, with so many benefits is, is a really important part of the, of the whole Carbon, uh, carbon cycle, you know, and then if we take that sort of a few steps um, into the realm of uh, politics and and um, and the sort of the social context of that, then you know we're talking about climate crisis, um, as some people um, refer to it. Uh, I just think that you know a lot of people are missing the whole point of of solutions, you know, um, to to whatever. Uh, issues, problems we feel um, are occurring in the environment. I just, again, I'm really supportive of of, um, of methods that actually sequest carbon as well as those that stop emissions. Don't get me started on wind farms again because that's all about apparent or you know or, po- or supposed um, reduction in emissions because we're you know, using wind power as opposed to. Gas and coal. I've got to stop going back to that, haven't I? It's a bit of a thing that I've got because I just I feel like the greenwashing of you know that was the, my first experience of greenwashing um, was that whole wind thing. You know, anyway, I think I've said enough of that last week or previous week, so I won't bang on about that. 
my view and that's pretty clear. Um, and that's probably enough of a rant. I don't think there's too much else to bang on about. Oh, if I haven't already, RCS Convergence, 16th and 17th of July in Brisbane at the Entertainment Centre there. Get your tickets on rcsc2022.com.au, rcsc2022.com.au. Grab your tickets, virtual and in-person presentations and people. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful thing. It's been a few years in the making now with all the hold-ups and stoppages. So I trust that that is going to um, occur and it will. It'll brain harlish on. It will occur and it'll be wonderful. So get your tickets to that uh, because they will be going pretty quickly. The closer we get to that event, uh, the more that the, those tickets will become sought after as people go, oh, shit, I can actually get to that now. Um, I just get your seats. Get your com, all that sort of stuff, sorted ASAP, and I will see you all there. That's enough for me. Or Now, Angelica Karana, my wonderful, beautiful wife, agreed to a interview. We sat on the veranda at, uh, or the little, um, just inside, actually, on the in the loft, which is a sort of a second story of a, I guess, the, is it the first? So you're on the ground floor, and then you have a first floor, don't you? It's not a second. It's a second story, but it's a first floor. I always, that always confuses me. Anyway, the floor above the ground level um, in our loft uh, at home at Hanamino, and it was wonderful. We, you know, not having – I didn't research. I'd already researched uh, <laughs> a bit, actually, when I was researching. There actually wasn't much Google going on. There wasn't much to see. Um, and there wouldn't have been anything to find either. But she is a wonderful, lovely um, uh, woman, and she was uh, wonderfully transparent and vulnerable. Um, she did feel like she didn't kind of put enough meat on the bones of this interview, but I, I have to disagree. Um, uh, she just you know gave it her all, um, and I'm actually thinking that we might – do a, a seasonal each season we might just do a catch up with her I'm gonna sit down with her um not so much talk about rehash her, her own regenerative journey but just just to talk about current affairs um projects um projects projects there's no x in projects must be my i don't know what's going on there what's got a lips lisp all of a sudden uh and and do that every season i think there's merit in that sharing some of the wonderful conversations we um, we have. Uh, so I trust you enjoyed this wonderful interview with Angelica Arnott, my wife, as much as I did recording it on The Regenerative Journey. Angelica Arnott. Hello, Chuck. Ni La Bazetta. Um, welcome to The Regenerative Journey and welcome to your... Um, your um, <laughs> my <laughs> I've life. Forgotten. Welcome no. to my life. Your, life. your mother. Your mother-in-law's loft. Oh, I know the loft very well. Here at Hannah Minow. Such a great space. So we are sitting up here in the loft. I've done a few interviews up here before. Well, two, two, I think. Um, it's a great spot. It and is. the idea being that we're looking out over the dam or the lake, as some people call it, but we just call it known as the, as the dam, um, down looking towards the, s- the south, southern part of the world. Um, we are looking at some, unfortunately, some turbines. I did, I'm not sure if I've, if I've mentioned some previous um, intros for, some interviews for season five, I have mentioned my disdain for wind farms and yeah. um, uh, there's some good reasons behind that, which I won't go into now because it's all about you, not not them, but um, we are looking at them, sort of. Well, I'm hoping we can be strategic and plant something just about here so we block them out from the garden view. Mm. What do you think? I reckon we can we work something out. I know it, we're, we're not going to be able to hide them. They're no. monstrous, but I don't think we need to... 
um, have them spoil our view while in we're our out fa- here. In our face. No. Which are not really, they are, you look for them and you can see them. But nonetheless, um, Angelica, as is the name of the podcast, The Regenerative Journey, I'm here to dig deep into the, a deep dive. I know I said that once deep and you dive. weren't, weren't <laughs> you said that sounds silly. Um, this is interesting because I know you better than anyone in the world, I think, uh, probably even better than myself. And uh, I was thinking about the research for this. Do I research? Do I not? I didn't do any research. <gasps> you didn't. Well, there wasn't no, there wasn't much many stones und, unturned. Well, I thought you were going to dig up some dirt that I didn't know even know. Look, or I know you were young forgotten. and needed the money, so it's <laughs> oh, it's all in the past. I know. I know. I had a very boring <laughs> upbringing. There was probably no dirt on me that hasn't already been dug up. Dug up. Now, dug before up. we get to that, I just want to, as I said, we're sitting in Mama's loft um we're looking out over landscape um so beautiful what does it mean what does it mean to you like you know why well, i mean i know we're gonna to get to why you're here but i mean what this has become to me what it has become to you yeah what does mm. it mean to you to sit up here on a saturday morning with the wind whistling through that weeping willow well good morning and thank you for having me on your show what a privilege it is not only it's taken to, me five seasons to get there, to have yeah um, to be here with you, but to have dialogue with you uninterrupted. Also, we think kids are off wandering around the place, and hopefully they won't end up paddling around in the dam. But uh, to have the opportunity to just have a conversation and hear thoughts out loud, mm. and and ask these questions because I think you know in our busy lives we forget to. Um, Dive deep <laughs> into each other's, <laughs> you know, dreams, desires, aspirations, whatever you want to call them. Goals. Goals. Fantasies. Although I'm trying to eliminate the goal-oriented um, lifestyle. It's driving me a little bit batty. But, I, you know, just to hear ourselves have a conversation and hopefully that will be um, not too boring for your listeners. But um, We better, so we better keep in mind that there's other people listening. Yes, I will. We'll keep it on board. Don't say anything rude. So back to your question, what is this? mean to me and what it has become to me. Um, yeah, there's a journey in there and there's a lot of information and a lot of thoughts about that because I think when I first arrived at the farm, um, I just didn't understand the vastness of it all, the overwhelm of being in a place that demanded so much of your time and energy and and focus that there didn't seem to be much room for anything else. And And I found it... Very confronting in more ways than one. Uh, you know, the fact that we, you know, had to, you had to keep working when you're out here. And I always thought that we were here to relax and be in the country environment and enjoy all of those wonderful, you know, advantages of being in country, fresh air and the likes. But I found it just a little bit um, confronting in terms of there was nowhere to run and hide. You had to really deal with who you are what you are, and without the distractions of being in the city. And I found that a little bit, um, a little bit, yeah, confronting, as I said. But over time, I have come to learn that that's been the greatest lesson for me out here. To slow down, to be at one with the pace of things here, and not to be challenged by that, and to really enjoy, um, you know, the learning 
I guess. And you've taught me so much about being in nature that, of course, I just see now that I, what I was missing in the first place was that I just didn't have that in my upbringing and it was, it was all new to me. So I'm grateful to be here now. I have dialogue with nature now. I have an understanding and appreciation now that I didn't have when we first got here. So, yeah, big journey. Um, and not over. Oh, certainly not. No, it's actually interesting, not over, just beginning. Mm. And I think it's just turned around for me and I guess, you know, the world's feeling a little unstable now and the only time I really feel a sense of stability and safety is when we're here. So, yes, that's bringing up a lot. Um, COVID had some... There were some good things about COVID, wasn't there? Or I you think there's good, been more good things of, about COVID than not, to be honest. Which has always been a personal – it's always a choice, isn't it, that, you know, adversity presents opportunity or opportunity for growth and so on or opportunity to fall in a heap? Well, we've chosen not to fall in a heap and I think we've chosen to see that we have to get fit and deal with the changes that are coming because I think it's only just begun – and and that means we have to build some resilience, not just for us, but for our children. And so that's my driver, and I'm pretty sure that's yours too, if I can speak on your behalf. <laughs> I think we're driven to, well, first, I know we have to get fit in many ways, but spiritually fit is one of my my, my biggest um, concerns. Goals? Is that one of your well, biggest goals? Well, that would be a goal. All right, that's a goal. I want to get spiritually <laughs> fit because I know that when making decisions about our future for us and our children and our community and our, you know, our family at large, I don't think we want to do it through the prism of fear or 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 um, lack of abundance or, you know, I, I think we need to do it through the eyes of um, creating a world that is sustainable for us and you know, the, 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 our community um, that enables growth and and love. And we can't do that if we're afraid. So that's how I'm feeling right now anyway. That's my driver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit of a driver too sometimes. Aren't yeah, well, you I drive me annoying. crazy most <laughs> of the time. But, but, hey, love you to bits, babe. That's my job. Yeah, uh, okay, let's step back in time to... Where do you want to start? You did mention um, before your early childhood. Let's go back to that because it's <clears throat> really about the the steps and stages along the way to you know your, your in in your journey. <clears throat> where do you want to Where do you want to start? Well, do you want to start? I mean, this is going to be the interesting thing. I kind of know stuff, so I don't want to be too promptive. Is that a word? Preemptive. Preemptive. No, I, I, look, I I'm not big on dredging up the past either. You know, so it's always been. A tricky conversation for me when people ask me where I've been, what I've done, what it's going to be a pretty, from. it's going to be a pretty short it's interview. Pre- this one, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll cut to the chase. No, I just oh, enjoy it. That was lovely. Thank, thank you. you. All right, I can go now. <laughs> no, um, well, for, you know, like what, how far back do you want to go? Is it interesting? Well, I guess not? I mean heritage. You know, none. None. I mean, that's that's Daddy probably o. that's in it, and and you know both sides. I mean, what because your your heritage is, makes up you. It does, and uh, I have a, a a rich heritage in terms of my father being an Italian, my mother being an Australian, and um, 
probably um, raised in a tumultuous situation that was very loving. Can, does that make sense? Yeah. So they were young and mum and dad were young when they got married. Mum was 16, I think, when she had her first child. And they were learning all their life lessons while they were married and raising children. And it was confronting to watch as a child. I remember growing up in that dynamic thinking, there's something not right here. Um, but I knew I was safe and I knew I was loved, so I wasn't. it wasn't too traumatic, but it was a little off. And we were, I was raised in suburban Victoria and I, I just found that that whole landscape of, of living was just, was depressing. And I, I knew it, I was at ill ease with it all um, when I was young and I remembered having moments of just trying to plan my escape um, and that was very clear that I, I just wanted to get out of there and I did as fast as I could. Um, and then my journey began. I just sort of, you know, went to work and I went to, I fell into all of my career paths along the way, <laughs> excuse me, without much, which, without much planning and forethought. So I just kind of rolled along. Before we roll along further, can we just go back to, um, say, Nun, your yeah. father, and kind of, you know, because I guess I'm looking at his and understand, no, his, his journey to Australia, yeah, and then what that what 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 that created for him, you know, foundationally, and then and then you as as a daughter of of him. Yeah, it, it's a big one because as Dad's sort of you know moving into his final stages, um, you know, I, I have a lot of recall about that, and there was a lot of stuff that wasn't said between us, and it's it's really sad because I don't think I'm going to have those conversations with him now. But, yes, he was on a boat out from Stromboli, the island of Stromboli in Sicily, um, when he was 15 and he arrived on, you know, the Australian shores. I don't have any tissues, do you? I've got a runny nose. You keep talking, I'll go around with that. Um, and he was collected at the docks from his brothers and, and thrown into work um, the, the next day. In, in, in Melbourne, got to Melbourne. In Melbourne, yes, and he went straight to the... the you know, fruit markets in Footscray, I think it was, and uh, Footscray, and he worked every day of his life um, from that moment on. Um, but he did not have a great command of the English language, and unfortunately, the Sicilian dialect that he vaguely recalls now. Um, it's all right, darling. I can no, I can manage. I can manage. I can just. I can use my sleeve. Okay. And anyway, so Daddy uh, just knew work. That was his survivalist mentality. He worked. He provided for his family, um, and he was a good, honourable man. And the lessons I learned from my father were, you know, well, many, but one of the main ones were. Oh, I'm a bit tongue tied. Well, thank you. Maybe I get a little bit emotional talking about my dad. Um, were life lessons about food and you know where your food comes from and and how important meal times were together as a family, um, and that was a gift he gave me. And food is medicine as well. For an uneducated man, he had a lot of wisdom and knowledge about what it what it took to heal. Any malaise. So if I, you know, anyone was unwell, he'd pop out off into the kitchen and make 
something that he thought was appropriate to help that, to help heal. And that's a gift he gave me. He, he's a kind of a, um, I don't know, shaman's not the right word, but he. I'm a medicine man, medicine maybe. Medicine man, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Um, and that was just innate to him. That was just an instinct that he knew, um, you know, how to, how to, how to look after us. Mm. Okay, I'm just going to adjust your microphone there on your. You just want to get a little get touchy feely. Thank you. <laughs> How's that? Better. Sitting all right? Yep, that's fine. Proceed. Yeah, so that's it, really. What else do you need to know? You know all the other stuff. I don't think it's <laughs> yeah, but No, I know that. Well, other people do, but not, not as many as I hope they're going to hear this. Um, but I guess, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, because you're, you, we reference Noon a lot. You know, he's an amazing gentleman. Who um, I when we <clears throat> when I asked for your hand in marriage because people did that still then they still do um, I remember very clearly at David your brother's house yes walking up the stairs yes I guess they knew or something was up, oh was maybe it? maybe had you told them had no, you of said hey not. this place no. going to turn up no it was a secret and I'm good at keeping secrets. <laughs> Not really. oh, so not. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I didn't. Anyway, that was know. a good one. Good one to keep. Yeah. Um, God love him. So, okay, fast forward a little bit to um, escaping, escaping the family. Kind of. I don't you know. know. Um, well, I just made a plan to get out of there. I left home really early, and I started working as a secretary as soon as I left school. Sixteen. Yeah, seventeen and eight, uh, seventeen, and then I just knew that wasn't for me either. So I was planning and, and conniving and scheming to um, uh, further my acting career, which I'd, I'd always wanted to do. And I got myself an agent as fast as I could, and I started working in doing bit parts in TV series. And then, with not with what? With how much acting um, experience? Not a huge amount, but I just had a lot of chutzpah, and I, I found an agent, and I was able to just get the work. And you're and, a bit of a sort too. I and imagine. it was a bit of a sort. No, not really. Yeah, and yeah. then somehow I fell into a modelling career because I decided that's what I was going to do because someone offered me the opportunity to do that. There was much more money in in modelling, and I loved. I loved it. It was just a fantastic career. I had a ball. Um, and then again, somebody offered me an opportunity to be in a in a band, and I took that as well. So, without going into all the detail, that's how my career progressed. Mm. It was pretty much just being open to the opportunity and saying yes. And and I had no no resistance to any of it because I just I just felt confident in all of those decisions. I just had no doubt, and that's just who I am. I, if if it feels right, I just say yes. Here we are. Yeah. And so, yeah, and then that's that's how I travelled along for until I met you. No, there's a big gap there. Um, don't be sneaking out of there. What were gaps. the TV shows you were in there before? Oh, God. Um, well, the last one I did was Home and Away. But that's fast-forwarding. That's fast-forwarding. And then I did all the, you know, the cop shops and the Sullivans and the- Oh, with um, uh, oh, cop shop with um, yeah, Tucker. Pop- what was his name? Gil Tucker. Yeah, that's Remember right. Gil Tucker? Yeah. Did you work with Gil? Oh, probably. No, I don't think He I was did. a little guy, the, the, the no, sort of gingery hair. Yeah. He would have been on it. Yeah, I don't think it I worked was awesome. with him. I can't remember, to be honest. He and the, all those Carson's Laws and all, Carson's yeah. Law and yeah. all of those, um, you know, Australian TV series. Crawford. Crawford, Crawford Productions. Productions. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's where I got my first job, actually. Cop oh. Shop, I think it was. 
And I then, see. yes, so that was my um, lofty career. So, um, so band, because there's a good story about the band, about how you all sort of came to, for those, oh, well, yeah, you tell the story, I don't want to take the, the Chantuzies thunder, evolved. Yeah. Well, yes, again, it was just one of those opportunities. A girlfriend of mine said that she'd like me to come over to her house to sing some songs. And I thought that'd be fun and we'd pop a you know, bottle of champagne and we all sat around singing and she introduced me to some of the members that are in the band now. And um, we did that on a Thursday evening just for a few months and then I decided that they were all much better singers and I thought maybe I, I'll, I won't continue on, on doing that. And they rang me and harassed me until I came back. And then we started rehearsing for one of the girls' birthday parties, Toddy Goldsmith's birthday and this is what year, roughly, oh, just, God. To, just to put uh, it in, 19... the, put you on the spot. No, uh, 1987. 87? Yeah. 1987. And um, we, her father was the nightclub owner of the Underground in Melbourne, Brian Goldsmith. Um, and God bless his soul, what a guy. And he came up with the name for the band and he's, he... Um, decided that we, if we were to get serious, he would give us a residency at the underground for six weeks. We did that. And during that time, we had a record rep come in and um, signed us for, mm. to Mushroom Records. And within, I think it was about a month, we had our first album, uh, our first single released. Which was? Which was Witch Queen of New Orleans. That's it. Which is fantastic. Not an original, but it was a cover. No, 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 I'm not taking away from that. It's just awesome. Testing the waters, and it did really well, and that's how our story began. Mm. And we had a fantastic time touring Australia, and and I saw Australia and, you know, the industry in its day where live music was a thing and you'd travel around and you'd go from town to town and you'd be playing at all the pubs and clubs and... You know, they'd be packed. And that was before nightclubs were a big thing. And, yeah, um, we had a great time. That's where I forged all my true friendships and and got to see Australia. So, I mean, <clears throat> as a male, a young Australian male. Yeah. I was. You, I still am. I still am. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure. Are you? <laughs> no, I am. Are you a female? No, oh, I'm not a biologist, so I can't tell. Um, <laughs> Don't be cheap. <laughs> we'll have that conversation so at some point. Um, I'm not allowed to tell anyway. So you were um, four good-looking women. Yes, we were. Who were singing and, like, it was quite a new it was a, I mean, because I know there'd been sort of duos that kind of in that era, you know, late 70s, early 80s, duo, Aussie duos kind of ladies. And yeah. And we met a few on, on the we tour. We did. Um, and, and individuals. But I guess, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, four girls and four guys on the, on the, on the, on the instruments and so on, musos, um, that was a new thing, wasn't it? That was quite a new, quite a I think we were quite innovative. Act. Yeah, we were. There wasn't anything like us in Australia at that time. There was Banana Rama. I think they were, they were in. Was only two of them? No, there were oh, two. There, oh, there's only two. Oh, was there more? Three. They came out here, didn't they? They did. I think there's only two, there was only two then. But yeah, okay. Um, anyway, that there was yes, we were quite original um, in terms of. Um, the lineup, and we had a boy band, and and we were strong and fun, and we weren't we weren't music cred, but we sure as hell 
knew how to put on a good show. It's fun. And, and yeah, so we, you know, we played to packed houses most of the time and we had a really fun run. Well, you also did, opened a few AFL grand finals. And we did. That sort of <laughs> you stuff. remember that? Oh, you, you told me. You must have been I Google, no, 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 no. It, 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 would, it would just come up in conversation. <laughs> In conversation, I don't know over the last how many how many years. Really? I'd forgotten yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, but um, I mean that's quite a thing because that's you know that's that's almost the pinnacle of Aussie Maybe. music. You know, Barnsley's opened a few, and and then the Shantusies came on. Yeah, you know, I remember running on and running off as fast as I could. So yes, it was. Well, and that would have been that. that would have been the old MCG too when they probably packed hundred and ten thousand people in there. No, I don't think we MCG. did the MCG. Didn't you? No. Where did, would you have done the? No, I think it was in Sydney somewhere. Oh, okay. At the um, would it have been the cricket Cr- ground? No, nah, well, it would have been cricket ground, probably. Yeah, because yeah. that was before the um, home bush and so on. Oh yeah, no, we were truly famous, honey. Like we well, had some highlights. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that at yes. all. And then there was kind of the opportunity to, um, well, there was a potential to go overseas. It, it we did we did get the offer from Stock Aiken and Waterman and who had um, made Kylie Kylie famous, famous Rick and Ashley. We had some resistance from the boys at that time. They didn't want to do that, so that was a big no. Um, don't regret that moment, but yeah, we could have gone overseas if we really pushed the, the idea. Mm. Mm. Didn't happen, but okay, that's what was meant to happen. It was fine. So it was a yes, it was a good time in my life, and I don't regret for a minute um, leaving the band mm. and um, doing what I did next. What oh, before we go to next, um, I just want to say I've met all the girls many times, and yeah, they were you know they were your bridal party for the um, uh, uh, your your wedding, your <laughs> wedding, which happened to be my wedding too, um, here actually right in front of us. Um, back in the day, and they are the most lovely girls, and I can just see how your friendship was forged on mm. buses, you know, on the road, in pubs, in clubs, you know, doing those gigs. I, like you just have this unspoken kind of respect and sisterhood, and it's and it's the first time I'd been, I, I yeah, again as a male, you don't necessarily have insight into that sort of thing, and it was just. Just wonder. I learned a lot even just from from that. That the um, you know your ups and downs and mm. so on. And well, you're still buddies after. So yeah. how many? How many? Yeah, very important relationships and a very important formative. You know those formative years where you they know everything about me. Mm. I know everything about them, and I hold them in my heart, and I love them dearly. I don't necessarily see them all the time these days, but yes, forging relationships there. At that time in your life, as you know, you've been through, you know, university, you know, made all of those friendships and hopefully you're going to see a lot of those people tonight. <laughs> We're going to a party tonight. I can't believe it. It's we like three years since we've been anywhere. Smiley's. Yeah. Um, and you know the value of having friends that understand you and, and love you and don't judge you. And I've just come to a point in my life now where I hold that as one of my sacred sacred, um, you know, knowings. That's very important to me. So band kind of, I mean, yeah, you, you, what, what was the next stage in your, Um, I mean, and and I guess, you know, reference kind of, you know, regenerative kind of, well, not regenerative, it's not the right word, but kind of epiphanies or kind of 
learnings along the way that you you might have had that a bit of a standout, you know, I mean, and often often as a result of challenges that you, you had or anyone has is those yeah. epiphanies and learnings and Well, lessons. I think as far as a regenerative journey, um, you know, started for me in terms of my awareness of what was going on, especially when I was in the music industry. Mm. You know, there were some choices that one had to make to survive and I was acutely aware that, and, and I guess vanity was probably a driver for me, I didn't want to feel unwell while I was touring. I knew I had to be in peak physical condition. I had to kind of, you know, look after myself. And that's something that I was gifted, you know, my dad always, always stressed that if we weren't um, nutritionally topped up, we weren't going to survive, the, you know, any gruelling routine. And and so while we were on the road, the girls, fortunately the girls and I all thought the same way and, and we looked after our health in terms of it. in the days that we were touring, you couldn't just pop into the local health food shop and get your stores. There was nothing in, you know, country um, Australia. It was hard to find anything um, healthy. So we'd have to bring all our own food and we would, you know, have um, packs of brown rice and we'd uh, tahini and, and all our, you know, anything that we could, miso soups, anything we could take with us. And we'd get to a pub and we'd, ra- you know, raid the kitchen there and make our own dinners. And- get a burko. <laughs> get a burko, you know, cook up your broccoli in a burko. It was fun and it was it was a, a great way to, um, you know, keep us healthy, I guess. And we all exercised as well. And and that was something that I just kept, you know, you know, pursuing. And it became a bit obsessive at one point. I remember thinking, well, you know, if I if I drink, if I smoke, if I take, you know, party drugs, not that I ever did. But I chose not to because I just knew that I wanted to have a long and healthy career. And then that's where it started. I just, you know, knew that by the time I had children, I was obsessed with the idea of making sure that every meal was so full of the nutrients they needed to get through a day um, that that was, you know, my thing. Can we just go back to that? Because it was something that um, you think rock and roll, because really you were right in the middle of the Australian rock and roll scene. You know, you are kind of pop rock because you had you know, very poppy poppy yeah but, but, <laughs> well, you, pop but, rock. but you were certainly you know um right in the middle of you know a part of that industry the heady days yeah the heady yeah, days yeah so i mean you know one uh, you know again um referencing young australian males you just think oh how cool would that be you know Lots of chicks, lots of beers, lots of parties, you yeah. know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a boy, you're a girl, so I'm, that's kind of my naive perspective. But just stepping back from that, you know, you, you we hear stories, we understand, you know, there is all sorts of um, – um, there's a good and a bad side of that whole industry, bad as in, you know, addiction and kind of just spiralling downwards for, for some performers for whatever reason. You individually and as a group were pretty – um, from what I understand, um, clean. Um, yeah, I think some were better at it than others. <laughs> <laughs> I was really good. Like they called me Nana because after a gig I'd probably, you know, I'd chill home and have a hot chocolate and get into bed and wait for the door. <laughs> you know, Evie and I probably did that together. Um, the rest of them would sneak in and, you know, tell us all their, well, what they got up to yeah, <laughs> all night long. Um, yeah, but we were, on, on the whole, we were all very, um, health conscious. Mm. So, yeah, I, I 
it's funny to think that all those years watching, you know, because one of the first things that would happen when you'd roll into a, 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 a you know, wherever we were. A gig. A gig. The first person that would arrive would be the Coke dealer, you know, and that's just the way it was. And I used to think, what? Why? Why do we need that? It's a high just being here. It's mm-hmm. a high just getting on stage. It's a high having an audience just, you know, looking up at you, waiting for the next bit to happen. And mm-hmm. and I loved all of that and I didn't want to addle any of my, um, you know, memories of that because I do recall a lot of oh, some of the uh, famous Australian um, icons that in their day wiped themselves out with the drug, the amount of drugs that they did mm-hmm. and the regret that they have for not being able to recall you know, their heyday it was so sad. And so, you know, I wanted to be in the moment. I wanted to be present and and I was aware of that even then. Um, there was another question I had about that, which was um, oh, something about, oh, mate, turning up there. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess that's, you know, for for, for – for a lot of people, that's like, oh, that's just part of what you do. Yeah. No, You're an Aussie right rock passage. icon. Yeah. Exactly. It was hard. But a lot of the boys had this preconceived idea, and I say the boys because it was more the boys that would spiral out of control, that it was – I called it the Jim Morrison complex, that they'd feel that that was just the way you well, had you to be. Yeah. Um, you had to be reckless and, you know, abusive to to get through it. Because it was cool and groovy, but it just was so not cool and groovy. And, you know, I watched a lot of careers spiral out of control and a lot of lovely lives just get, you know, wasted. And, yeah, it was a good lesson to have, I guess, at that age. You know, I've tried to impress my my children with that, the fact that I've never done a drug in my day um, ever and, 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 you know, tell them stories of how I survived the rock and roll industry without doing any substance any substance abuse at all. And they often look at me and just go, yeah, yeah, that's lovely, mum. Good on you. <laughs> like, dag. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Well, it says a lot about you. Well, it just I says think. I'm pretty straight, you know. And like well, I said, what but- my dad instilled in me stays stayed with me always, that we have to look after ourselves. Well, call it straight or call it. Daggy. No, sensible, but call it kind of true to your values. You know? Always, always. Look, I've never had a problem with owning that. And it didn't matter how much peer pressure I was under. I just loved being able to say, no, thank you. I, that's not for me. And it always felt empowering. I felt it then. I never buckled under the, the pressure of, you know, everybody else doing and doing it. And I always felt that I could always rise to that level of that energetic level just by osmosis. If I didn't, if I wanted to stay at the party and didn't want to take anything to keep me on a high, anything artificial, I just energetically vibe in. And that was my osmosis moment. And that's how I survived most of the partying and, and, you know, fun times. And still do. Somewhere. Still do. Still doing it. Still practicing that. Trying to teach my kids how to do that. <laughs> don't need drink. Don't need anything else. Just need to feel the energy and let it, let it take you there. That's it. Um, what's the next bit then? So that was kind of when did, when did that that stage of your life, which 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 I got to taste when we not long after we met, but we'll get to that later. Um, what was the next sort of stage of your... I remember coming home from a tour one day thinking um, I didn't own a home, I didn't own a car and I wanted to have children. 
and I was starting to feel like, you know, my life was not going where I wanted it to. And I, you know, that maternal instinct was starting to stir. And I just thought this has been the best time of my life and we could do it forever and ever because it's just a, it's the sense of freedom that goes with it. It's a high. And and I just remembered thinking, no, it's time for me to start getting real. And I, I, you know, we didn't own cars because we didn't need them. We didn't have to worry about where to live because we all lived together and we were so used to sharing hotel rooms together. It was, it was just... You know, it's too unstructured for me at that time. So I just remembered saying to the girls, I think I'm ready to stop. And it was about seven or eight years down the track. I'd had enough time to work out that that was, you know, a chapter in my life. I was ready to move on and I wanted to have kids. And I did. I decided to go. And it was an easy decision. I've never looked back and here I am today and still grateful for the, you know, the journey that I was on, but happy to have, have yeah, moved away from that. <laughs> what else? And then I went um, overseas and I studied acting in LA I for had, a while. I actually, sorry, can we go back? There was there was something just to go back to your, and I guess this is, this is the benefit of knowing you well. The just to pump your tires up for a minute. When you were, I think when you were, you were, you were seventeen, eighteen, doing your secretary thing, you someone put you nominated you, or somehow you found yourself in a competition. Oh, I'm not going to tell you about that. Yes, no, no, no. We don't need. To, see, this is the uncomfortable bit about talking with you because you know it all, and I'm not good at dredging up my past. I've told you. It's that. not. Well, you don't. No, it's no, past. But no, we don't need to talk about it. Tell us. No, it. no, don't you do? Because anyone can Google it and find it out. Find out anyway. But it's just we don't need to go there because it wasn't part. Don't 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 think it was part of. You know, it's not interesting. Looking for more information to assist your regenerative journey? Come join Charlie and his guests around the kitchen table, an online community of supporters with exclusive access to the Regenerative Journey interview transcripts, live online Q&A sessions, a chance to engage with other like-minded people and more. Go to www.charliearnett.com.au forward slash the kitchen table. And we look forward to sharing a yarn with you. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Okay, well, without divulging what that actually was, can I just highlight the fact that for me it was an it was a it was a um, example of um, the wonderful beautiful person you are in your charitable nature all right we've done that giving it all away so i was miss australia charity queen (laughs) (laughs) i I think it's anyone that it felt a bit daggy come on let's be honest no i think it's it's actually i mean look I nominated myself, okay? I'm just going to override you there. I nominated myself because I was sitting in the office when I was being a secretary thinking, no, this is not fun. And, you know, flipping through the paper, they used to advertise for people to join the um, Miss Australia Quest. And I rang the lady and just said, oh, that looks interesting. What does one have to do? And she was at my office the next, you know, in the next hour saying you would be the first person that's ever rung to volunteer (laughs) to be in the quest. And I thought, oh, how odd. Okay. And, yes, so I was in in part of the, the, the quest. I ended up raising a whole bunch of money for the Italian community and won Miss Australia Charity Queen. 
How embarrassing. Why <laughs> oh, <yeah>, so cool? <laughs> no, it was a lovely time. I did. And you went overseas? I went overseas and I worked for the, what was called the Spastic Society in those days. Yeah. It's not any longer, clearly. Um, but, yeah, I had a really lovely time. I did. I, you know, had a travel. I actually won a car, a wardrobe. It was terribly exciting. But, um, yeah, it was just one of those things I did without thinking about too too seriously. <laughs> Well, again, an, an example of something you didn't have to do, you know. Well, no, it work. ended up. No, I understood what I'd done once I was yeah. in. I, you know, I was working with, with you know, kids with cerebral palsy, and and that's when I understood the value of the work that you know, raising money, mm. and and I really enjoyed it. It was it was a really heartfelt moment, you know, going to the society and volunteering time and enjoying my time and understanding that the, the disability wasn't as as grave as I thought it was. It was just a physical disability. A lot of those kids understood exactly what was going on and were able to communicate in some of the most poetic ways. And one of the, the most moving stories I heard when I was there was that a young boy went was on an excursion with a whole lot of kids from the um, – um, that that they, they all had cerebral palsy from the society, and um, when they got to the stop, everybody got off, but one was left behind, and he was unable to communicate. Obviously, at the the trip, the train went on, he got stuck, and then somewhere along the line, he wrote a story about his what had happened to him. And I read the story and it was just so moving and so hard to uh, to read because he just felt that sense of abandonment, was able to articulate every single emotion that he had. And yet in that time that he was on the train, nobody paid much attention to him because they thought he was mm. unable to, in, intellectually disabled. And it was, and it really drove it home for me that, you know, we have to take care of these people and, and be there and, and communicate as openly and honestly as we do with each other, our able-bodied bodied friends. So yes, it was a it was a big learning curve for me. I loved it. I'm glad we went there. Um, see, Gold yes, I know, and I bury a lot of my you know my past. I do. I don't talk about it enough, I guess, because there are moments where yes, we we need to recall some of the loveliness. Hmm. Um, okay, back to. Um, the next stage, I think you were just saying, went to LA. Went to LA, popped myself into an acting school, had a really lovely time, and was going to come back and and. You and you, know, oh, you had no boyfriends up to this no, stage. No, I had you? no boyfriends, <laughs> but I did reconnect with my very first boyfriend, and that story is how uh, that you know that journey um, was how I became pregnant, had my my two children, and that partnership didn't last. And I raised my two children uh, alone for about 11 years, and that's when I met you. Before we go to that bit, <laughs> I, I also want to... I love cutting to the chase, yeah, don't but, I? Yeah, but I guess, oh, really? I mean, you were doing Home and Away then. Yes, I was. And you, I mean, because I, I marvel... I was also doing other... Um, I I did um, VJing for MTV. I was doing Home and Away, and there was something else I did in the meanwhile. When I had Venus, um, mm. and she was three months old, and I went back to work... Um, and that that was a whole new set of challenges for me working as a single parent. Um, yeah, I found that quite quite tricky, and I realised it was not sustainable very early on. And I remember you saying, you know, with the for home and away, you kind of didn't you just ring them or 
He's got to a point when ice can't. No, it? no, no. I knew it was getting. I knew it was tethering. Because you were having to drive from Bondi to yes. Palm Beach every day, every morning at four or five o'clock. Yeah, and, and have to find a babysitter to come in and you know do the handover at that time of day, and that the, it was you know pretty unreliable. But um, Venus got sick. She had um, measles, mm. and. Um, she was at daycare and I was in the studio and I got a call from the daycare centre saying she's got a temperature of 42, she's asleep in the playground and we need you to get here now. I literally saw stars, grabbed my keys and ran and I ran out of the studio, which is unheard of. And, of course, the producers rang me and said, that's just ridiculous, you can't be doing that, you're sacked. And I went, that's fine, I don't care. (laughs) And I went home to tend to my beautiful daughter and I got her well and I did get sacked and that was a whole story in itself and but again you know get your priorities straight I needed to be there for my child there was nobody else I could call on and that was the end of my acting career (laughs) I have no regrets Charlie I have no regrets and um what would you do in a situation like that Mm. you know I'm not going to be pleasing producers um over caring for my child and a temperature of 42 is enough to alarm anybody, isn't it? Mm. They had no sympathy or, or um, no no concern for that at all. Fair enough. No, it was gutsy. Because you, know, well, you, you, put, you put your family first. Always. Always, yeah. Still doing that. Still doing that. Yeah. You're my family, Charlie. So tell me then, I'm just trying to get the, oh, yes, and then what happened? <laughs> so then I, well, that's when I my regenerative journey started. I realised that I had to look after children, you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, nutritionally, um, and that became my world. Uh, and I also went on a, you know, a, a healing journey for myself because I'd been through some trauma with the separation and I knew that I had to do the work in order to change my life so that it was healthy and whole so that I could impart, you know, healthy and whole living on and, and you know, understanding for my children, I had to do some work. And I went into therapy and I did as much, you know, self-help. I read every self-help book there was and you can still see in our library. I looked at mm. it the other day and, God, I did some research um, and I had, you know, a wonderful therapist that I saw for about 10 years who we ended up seeing together in, you know, when we first got together. Um, and, yeah, I did the work and I was ready. By the time I met you, I knew I was ready to have a happy, whole, healthy relationship. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have been able to, you know, get through what we had to get through. Blender family, you know, the, the tyranny of distance that we had to deal with, all of that stuff was... Um, yeah, challenging, but I know that we we got through it because of the, the 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 therapy and the work that we did. Um, just writing a little note there, little time code. Got some gems there. Well, <laughs> You're good at doing. Well, that. I think um, I think that. I mean, just looking at the raft of books you've 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 read, like it kind of shows, and 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 I've read a few of them. Um. But you, your level head is very evident. You know, where when we met, you, you know, you'd been through adversity um, and clearly because we know people and we've both got friends and we kind of, 
you know, even people we don't know personally, but kind of get you know, where people sometimes get up to in life. Again, they have a choice. They can do the choose to do the work. Yeah, you know, and, and acknowledge things and do the literally read the books and do the therapy and do the courses or whatever, um, which you chose to do. And then there's is that fork in the road where you can go. Well, it's all too hard, and you know, from their perspective is is that you know. Um, well, I guess it's a victim mentality. Oh, yeah. Well, that was something I wasn't going to suffer. And and when you've got children and you're their entire world, you know, I was mummy, daddy, you know, grandparents, I was, I was it. I just couldn't bear the thought of being unable to cope, like to be weak emotionally, to be weak spiritually. I knew I had to be robust in my management of myself so that I could give that to them. Um, yeah, but it's um, it's still a work in progress. I'm still um, trying to better myself so that I can be an example to them always, you know, and I don't always get it right and you're witness to that more often than I even understand. But but that's our job. That's what we're here to do and, I, you know, I take that seriously. Um, so, yeah, it's a never-ending quest to improve and to, you know, strengthen your your resolve, your, you know, understanding who you are and what makes you tick is it for me. Which shows? Someone's hammering something there's out a there. Bird. I think. There's a bird out oh, on the Oh, it's a bird in the bathroom. The yeah, on the Lordy window. Just no, he did that. Hammering he, a he did that before. Fed me in. It's quite. We were going to do this in the house. Oh God! We were going to have a crack yesterday. It was raining, and I came up here, and it was it was quite noisy in here. Um, and anyway, the house was was the option, but I just knew that there'd be a little little people. Oh no, harassing! As it. fun as that would have been to have them cruise well, around. It's nice in here, but it's getting cold. I'm starting to feel shaky. Are you? Cold, do you want to? Do you want to try and find one of my no, no, it's blankets? Fine. No, there'd be a blanket around the corner. No, no, I can't be bothered getting up. It's you sure? Yeah. Well, maybe when you get on to the next bit, you, you can um, I can grab you a blankie. Uh, what um, then? We did we meet then? <laughs> then did we? Do you want to tell us? Do, sure do you want to tell the story about? Well, how we met? I'm not sure a, if I've shared that with, on, on the on the machine. A here. bit of a rough trot, and a very um, a very dear friend of mine, Clivey, who we loved to oh. pieces, um, recommended I do Landmark Forum. Um, and he was a landmarkian and decided it was it would be the best thing for me, and I did. I off I, I took myself off, and that's where I met you because somebody had obviously suggested you do it too. Well, three people. Three people. Well, it was three kind of occasions when it was yeah, separate suggested. Occasions? Oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, okay. different people and around, around, the, around the same time. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how we met, and that was a, a life changing experience on on many levels because it was a. Um, for me, it was like, as I said, I'd, I'd done a lot of self-help um, and that was like all the modalities that I'd read and, and been interested in, you know, in one. And it was well-crafted and beautifully orchestrated so that all of that learning was delivered in a way that was so impactful and so easy to absorb that it changed my life. And I know that it it, it moved yours enough for you to let me in and... Um, yeah, I've never looked back. I, I think Landmark was a very, very positive thing for us. 
Well, we reference it quite often. Yeah, in terms of kind of sometimes, and yeah, I'd, I'd ne- not I'd, religiously, but no. it's, it's kind of a it's a it's, it is a certainly a turning point. It was, ref- and it worked. Point. It worked well for me in that time in my life. I understood that you know all the all the unraveling of all the things that I was doing that was hold that were holding was holding me back. Um, I was able to let go of, and it was just you know a lot of a freedom from there. It was great. So, yes, Landmark. And I just want to make a point here. Landmark comes up every now and again in these interviews because the guests are kind of being in those circles and a yeah. lot of them have been, and certainly Terry McCosker we talked about in the interview. Of course. Um, They've just come out. Too, yeah. uh, so we don't. there's no kickbacks for, for me to mention it. Um, I just want to be clear on that. And it's no, not something God. like, I'm like, oh, my God, everyone's got to do it, otherwise you're, you're not going to survive the – World, it is just for again, as I was saying, a reference point for me that was 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 significant. It seems to be the case for many other people who've done it, um, and it, I, we we talk about it because it is it always appears as a turning point on in people's life yeah. journey, regenerative journeys. You know, so that's what that's why it comes up. It's not because we think everyone should. Well, I think everyone should go and do it. Um, and for me, it was special because not just with the learnings that I had and the. The stripping down I got, and then the kind of the building back again in those few days. Or well, we did the the advance course, didn't we? Mm. Um, a month later. But um, can I tell people what? Yeah, no secrets here. No. <laughs> well, there's Go certainly none it. when you're at the landmark. So there's a thing at Smoker. I'm not sure if I've told this story before or another thing or not. I don't know. But anyway, nonetheless. So there's you just just before morning tea a smoker they someone you know the person up the front facilitator said right we're going to try and help everyone get home tonight or get here in the morning and just you know so just to help coordinate that who who needs a lift somewhere you know and everyone sort of goes oh, well who who lives who's driving and can take people to say bondi or to strathfield or whatever else so there's kind of a little bit of very quick um coordination there and people then go off at smoker and have a chat and you know say oh i saw you you know can we go whatever. Anyway, I saw Angelica's hand. Actually, the first thing I saw, I walked in the room and you were wearing blue jeans and an orange T-shirt and your beautiful <laughs> black hair and you were sitting at the front, right so up the cute. front, next talking to some, a lady next to you. And I went, oh, my God, I didn't know this was like a dating dating <laughs> bloody <laughs> workshop too. This is cool. Anyway, you were stunning. And um, I went, no, no, hang on, stop. I'm, just, I'm here for to sort some shit out. So, um, But I couldn't help it at the, at the Smoko little session when they did that. Um, you put your hand up and you were basically saying you were heading to Bondi and whatever. So I sauntered over there at Smoko and you were still sitting there and chatting away and I said, oh, excuse me, and I couldn't help but notice you, you know, potentially, you know, giving people a lift to Bondi. Uh, we are at Piermont, sort of near the city, uh, doing the course, and you swung around, put your hand on my leg. Did I? Uh, yeah, you were very upfront. Very racy. Um and oh, shudder went through me, and then I said, "Oh, you know, you know," and you said, "That's right." I said, "Oh, you know, you going to Bondi? Maybe could I get lift this evening?" You said, "Yeah, sure." But anyway, um, I didn't. I didn't need to go to Bondi. But <laughs> I clearly, I, I drove you I way stunning. past Bondi. No, were you? It was kind of on the way, but it was you know. Anyway, it you was were, not you were, on the way. You were good. Me. You were good enough not. Yeah, you're I didn't to make no a comment about that at the time. No, but you had other people in the car, and I remember um, jumping in that evening with other people, and I think I might have got the front seat. And um, anyway, off we went. It was lovely, and then I got a lift the next couple of nights. But um, meeting you there, and you know, 
but also having the intent of, you know, I was there for, to do the work, you know, was the primary objective. Nice to know you were there as well and kind of understand you and your trials and tribulations as you do, that sort of a landmark forum. Mm. And then the um, then they do the Tuesday night sort of regather, don't they, the, the couple of days later and you um, and I knew your story and I was there and I saw that you there was a miracle table. That's right. And I went over to the miracle table because as a single parent I wasn't flush and I didn't have um, – I don't think I, I – yeah, I knew I didn't have the money to do the next round of courses. And you took the opportunity to, you know, take me aside and suggest that you would pay for that course for me if the miracle didn't turn up because I was asking for a miracle to, to free up some cash. And and I remembered thinking I'd never met anyone quite like you who was so generous and I felt a real authentic – There was it didn't feel like you had an agenda and you were kind and, and, and offered me the money and I'd never met anybody – ever who had done that, who reached out like that. And also I'd never accepted money from anyone ever in my life, not even my parents. So, and it didn't matter how tough the times were. I just went, no, we'll just have to make do. So it was interesting. I went home that night and I called my mother and I said, some gorgeous random stranger has offered me um, has offered to pay for my course, Landmark, what do I do? And she said, well, what have you learnt this week? What What has mm. been, you know, your greatest learning? And one of the things that I, I remembered saying to her was, well, I've learnt to trust my instinct a little more and to not be so wary of, you know, of, of men because my big issue was that, I, you know, I didn't have a, a male friend and men were scary and, you know, blah, 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 because I'd been so traumatised. And I remember hanging up thinking, I'm going to accept the offer and I'm going to honour the offer and I'm going to pay him back and I'm going to let him know that that's the kindest thing that's ever happened to me. And I did and I left you a message and here we are today. I still owe you 600 bucks. You do. You gave me 100. <laughs> no, I gave you 200. Well, the two, it was $800. I gave you it was $800. Yeah, I gave you two. Right. And I still owe you six. <laughs> anyway, God. you can Tough. <laughs> help me to answer with Bit that of interest one. There. But I'm so glad I did take it. I'm so glad I just let go of all of those, you know, stubborn ego um, resistance, you know, moments that I've had forever where I, I went, no, I can't take money off a stranger. That's impossible. You know, you'd, you'd be indebted to him on all levels that wouldn't be right and blah, blah, blah. It was the best thing I ever did. And there was some risk in that for me, given the situation I was in at the time, um, literally on the, there at the, at the event and the repercussions of that. Um, yeah, you're not going to go into detail, no, are not. you? No, I'm yeah, not. No, exactly. no, 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 there's no need to. Come but, on, it's but, your but I guess and, 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 moment. <laughs> you can. <laughs> no. to talk to you now. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, it's not appropriate. But I guess and I'm not trying to pump up my own tyres, but I guess I was compelled, you know, because there was, um, because, of, again, as you said, because of the what I'd learned that week, you know, and, and the opportunity that was, was there to help and um, contribute to someone else's life with, again, no strings attached. It, you know, it, like there might have been a 1% attraction going, oh, yeah, she's nice. But there was real authenticity, I, I, I feel, and I know that was like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I do that, you know? Well, I've watched you ever since, you know, our lives – 
together. I mean, I've, you know, the way you are in the world, now I understand what you did is just innate to who you are. You're a generous, kind and, you know, caring person. And whenever you see anybody in need, you reach out. That's what you do. I didn't understand it then because I thought there might, may have been a bit more of an agenda attached to that. <laughs> Clearly there was. Um, but oh, you, still, you still are that person, you know, and, and what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing that I didn't say no, that I've got to live a life with somebody that is generous beyond all measure. Mr Arnott, thank you. Let's uh, then the next bit of that, um, just to just to sort of put some <laughs> some context to it all, was we didn't see each other for no, we had a six month six, hiatus. Six well, it was Easter? It was because that was in like November, December, or somewhere around there? Yeah, and then it? we caught up again after the Christmas and we caught up, and that was all very like that was we both went went our separate ways and kind of sorted some stuff out, um, and then I think I. I left some tickets to the Easter show under mum and dad's mattress, uh, mattress um, the front doormat in Sydney, and I somehow, I must have had your number or something. Yeah, no, we were communicating by text, I remember that. And then, But I, do, I did lose your number at some point, I, I remember. Yeah, because a tractor ran over your phone. <laughs> oh, in the that's right. And then, you know, um, James Hardcastle up there at... Um, um, Nala Nala. Nala Nala, yeah, Nala Nala, but it was at Boonery or somewhere. It was was over the road, over the highway on the western side. And he he he, he said that the other day. What? He remembers that so clearly. Was he with you? He was, yeah, it was on his place. Oh, okay. And he was driving the tractor or one of his guys was driving the tractor and I lit my phone, slipped. it was like some old, you know, flip phone thing. And it fell out of my pocket. I jumped out of the tractor or the something or other, and it was on the ground. And he, we laugh about saying, you know, he had a he had a field of mobile phones because he was, yeah, was cropping buried, it to buried, buried, buried the there. But he he, he remembers oh. that so clearly. Um, so yeah, it was it was Easter. I left tickets under the mat. You yes, you, you picked did. them up and you went. Another and, generous moment, and I did. And I went with. Well, Ali. I mean, there was probably a little bit more agenda in that one. Yeah. Well, we knew we had to find each other. I said I had a, an app, there was an apparition moment. I remember, I was walking around the park at. Uh, um, Centennial. Centennial Park Centennial, it was, yeah. yes. And I remember just, you know, having you in my head, having thoughts of you, and then I looked out and I saw a tree, you know, in, in the distance and I saw what looked like a spinning you, a, a hologram of you, and I remembered being overwhelmed by that thought and I went, he's coming into my life, and mm. I knew it. And you were, and you were on your way, and you <laughs> arrived. Like my knight in shining armor. <laughs> so there's a bit more to that. Uh, Do we have to few, go there? No, we don't. No, no the few months went by. Yeah, a few months went by. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff around, <laughs> around what happened next. Um, not to dangle too many carrots, but it was just. Well, I guess there were some challenges that we got through. Yeah, we did. In and thanks, bit. you know, thanks to Landmark, we met and we were able to get on with business because we met. You know, and knew each other's what's and all. Yeah. So what uh, we got married. I guess this is the interesting thing is that again, I know. So we got married here at Hanamino. We had the most beautiful. Oh no! What about what about the um, the engagement? That was quite funny. When I asked you to marry me, where we went? Oh, on a picnic. Yeah. I was feeling a little under the weather that day, and we took off and had a picnic not far from here. In a beautiful property that was owned by oh no it wasn't on, actually on the property was it, um, 
what was the Glenella. So over towards Mount Collins, towards Cowra from from here, where the Burra River joins the Lachlan. Thank you. But we went over to Bennett Springs. That's well, right. we had to go through Bennett Springs, um, uh, to which is the Burra River, um, to get there, and I'd prepared. The sweetest picnic. A little picnic, cup of tea, because I knew that spot and I thought, oh, on the way over there. We're going over there to collect acorns, that's right. That's right. Because um, Nick Rogers, my best mate, his, uh, his um, mother, Vivian, had been a, and still is a wonderful um, oak tree grower and lover, and I knew there were some acorns over there I wanted to get my hands on. And so he'd so set the scene. Tried to. Tricked me into thinking we were just going on a little picnic to get acorns, but actually, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so we had cups of tea, um, little whatever else, the thermos, and as we were making, I was making the tea, and when Angelica wasn't looking, I might have said, <laughs> hey, look, is that, is that a platypus down there? <laughs> I dropped a little... Um, $2. $2, like out of a skill tester machine, um, ring. In my tea, engagement in the in the in the in the in the tea. Anyway, hoping that she wasn't going to choke on it, uh, I thought, well, this will be the moment where um, she will get to the bottom of the cup, see something shiny in there, and go, "Oh my god!" Oh, is that so we were sitting there, and I was just you know anxious and nervous and looking around, and probably and you were feeling a bit under the weather anyway. Yeah, so I didn't notice you were feeling up. So you didn't know, and then anyway, so I, and I think I might have said, "Oh, look, you know, trying to expedite things a little." So we, we probably we probably should get going pretty soon. And then, so you promptly turfed skull, your, a sc- no, scull a bit more, and then just threw the it. turfed what was in there over a shoulder. And clink. And you heard a clink, and, and I was what going, was that? "Lucky didn't like do that into the river." <gasps> Holy moly! Well, lucky it wasn't a real ring. <laughs> well, I was. That was why I didn't have a real one. Too cute. And then I fossicked around to find my two dollar special, and went, "No, you can't be asking me to marry you." And I think I punched you. Yeah, I think you did. I think I punched you. You're still recovering. Yeah, no, but it was um, such a cute moment. And then, of course, I couldn't tell anyone because you hadn't asked Dad. So holding that secret in was tricky. Got ourselves, but the girls. You told the girls. Yeah, I told the babies. Pleasure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And. Yeah, so that's that was a beautiful day. And then we went on a. Um, this is not a trip down memory lane for everyone. I guess it's part of it, but it is we, for me. I've forgotten can all I, this. Can I, no, no, can I just say the one, the one the last little bit of input I want to have here is that we, um, I think later that year you went on the. Oh no, we'd already been on the um, countdown tour. So yes. so Michael Gudinski had put together a countdown tour. So there was you know twenty years worth of. Rock Aussie rock sort of legends that have been um, signed a mushroom, oh, his label, so and we went for three weeks. And I was kind of the roadie slash groupie slash whatever. Um, so I went, fun oh, guy. Fun, yeah, I was so funny. It was it was I met so many amazing Australian rock and roll music music icons. Icons. It was just it was fantastic. And what was interesting about that whole moment was how you slotted in, and it was like you'd been in rock and roll all your life. And I was really glad for the opportunity to see, for you to see what my life was like mm. before I met you and how that really, kind of, you know, gave you a, a bit more of an awareness of where I'd been, what I'd been up to. Your and history. Absolutely. And I was uh, grateful for that. But you, <laughs> you really took off. And, and I thought if you hadn't done ag science at uni, you should have just, you know, skipped that bit and joined a band. You would have just <laughs> been carving it up. I might have gone off you the deep end. Been, yeah, you would have been one of those Jim Morrison moments where you just overdid it. I think so. But it was, um, yeah, you 
it was a great thing, wasn't it? It was a great moment just to be mm. away from everything here and in that environment and to realise another part of your personality because you really were on stage with the cowbell. Yeah, we got with, in Brisbane. In Brisbane at the Entertainment Centre. There was Charlie on stage <laughs> hammering a cowbell like he knew exactly how to keep time. Like, no, he didn't. I did. And I I'm a good time done your makeup that night too. So you had eyeliner yeah, on. Yeah, I was trying to look like Brian Mannix. Oh, hilarious. It was so fun. Anyway, it was a great memory. It was. And the other funny memory was we'd get around on buses from the hotel to the um, um, the, gig. the gigs. And um, this particular moment there was um, uh, we were, I was sitting just opposite or near James Rain from Aussie Crawl. <laughs> and, and he, we're all sort of, you know, like getting off a plane, you're sort of waiting for someone to get in front of you and get, get out of the way and whatever. And I remember standing up and he was coming, he must have been coming from behind. Yep, down the aisle. And I said, after you, Rainsy. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember the look on his face, like, Rainsy? I don't think anyone had called him Rainsy no. ever. No one had ever, no. ever thought that was a good thing I to do. I think he took it well, though. Well, he looked at me and then he decided not to punch me in the head. And then he <laughs> He's kept not on that going. tough, trust no, me. No, but it was quite, it was quite funny. No, it was a cute moment. But I you c- get away with that sort of stuff. I couldn't help myself. You can be cheeky and oh, irreverent and people let you go with mm. that. Oh, it's all about timing. Yeah. So um, let's talk sort of just jump to kind of not that that stuff wasn't interesting, but kind of, like, I want to sort of dig in a bit more your philosophy. You know, we've got a candle burning here. And when before we sat down, you kind of had a few words to say and what you were trying to, you know, I guess bring into the world. Yeah. Um, um, are you talking about our angels and guides? Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, we're sort of jumping to that, but I guess what, what let's just do that now. Talk about that because I think it's because given the book I've just finished reading, yeah, the um, the elementals uh, about the elementals by um, um, uh, Ogilvy um, Crombie, who was a um, Scottish, uh, interesting guy, really interesting guy. What uh, was he? Is he well, he was a he was as a child, he was he was quite ill, um, in the Second World War. I think it was trying to get the, the timing right there now. No, I mean, it was the First World War. He died when he was, uh, yeah, I, I reckon that was the First World War and they said you've got to get, you you can't go to war because you're sick, but he oh, was wow. a signaller. He was a signaller, that's what he was, on in the Navy, I think that's right. Anyway, so he had a pretty low-key life in terms of activity because he had, a, I think he had a dicky heart from when he was a child. Right. Uh, however, that gave him time to sort of be very creative and artistic and, and you know, his acting and all sorts of stuff. But he also had this other side of him which was fascinating and he was, he's, Relationship with nature, and he's he's took many decades for him to get to a point where he could um, communicate with and see the elementals and nature spirits. So I guess that's you know my um, understanding of that or appreciation has been there for a long time. But in terms of just understanding that a bit more and kind of steps towards that as a part of one's life. Mm. Um, but you you've always been that's kind of from a you know unseen help point of view, that's been part of your life. For a yeah, long time. it has. And I've always acknowledged that there has been a presence surrounding me um, and I knew it when I was young. I knew it when I was a little girl and I remember seeing fairies dancing around on my bed, um, you know, on windowsills. Whenever I was sort of in my space alone, I felt the presence of and I remember the visions of and and I think somewhere in, you know, the, those growing years we forget that and we, you know, kind of move away from that understanding or knowingness. And then 
I started to feel the need to be connected to the elementals. And I think it might have, might have been triggered by Lilla, you know, going into or Persia, actually going into the Steiner school. And the conversations um, started again about, you know, being in touch with the elemental spirits. And then I recalled the conversations that I used to have with what I believed to be my guardian angel. And I physically felt that presence on my shoulder, on my right shoulder always. And I recalled having conversations about, you know, what I needed to be doing on the planet. What is my purpose here? Can you help me? Can you guide me? And, and I wanted to bring that conversation back and I wanted to reignite that relationship. And then, um, that's just, something that I've tried to do alone and I felt a little bit awkward about it because I didn't know how to call in the energy, call in the spirits in an authentic, respectful way. And since we started our um, Steiner Spirit Group, which is another part of our journey we can discuss somewhere, um, that conversation has become easy, um, you know, talking to our, our spirits because obviously acknowledging that they're there um, and how important they are to us and our everyday, you know, living. Mm. Um, and they can assist us in ways that we feel, you know, empowered and and strengthened by. So, yeah, I always call in the angels when I feel a bit challenged. I was a bit nervous coming here to talk to you because I knew that you'd talk to me about my past and it's, I'm not comfortable with that, as you can tell. It's not as fluid as I'd like to be because I've stored a lot of that memory away and um, yeah, it's not where I naturally go. And I asked for my guides to be with me, to help me be here, present with you in an authentic, loving, kind way. And that just gives me the confidence to feel like I'm I'm open to being guided into the space I want to be. Was that something that Nan, your mum, kind of talked about or did or, you know, introduced you to? Uh, yes, I don't know so much Talk about, about Nan. And Nan, my beautiful mother, who is a legend, who is a wonderful stoic, who is caring for my ailing father alone. Um, she is my mentor, my greatest love. I'm going to cry because I love my I can't believe you so haven't cried and we're an hour and 12 minutes. Huh? I'm such a soft. Really? That yeah. long? Yeah, I thought you, oh. the first five you'd be blubbing. Yeah, no, it, it has been a thing. Um Mum is an amazing human being um, and in the face of adversity, I've never seen anybody just rise to the occasion more than my mother, you know, what a woman. Um, yes, she never complains about her life. She understands that this is her lot. You know, she was here to look after the children and she has done that, committed to that 150%. Well, her own children and grandchildren. And grandchildren and she's on the planet now strong and and wise and so needed because she has such a wealth of information to impart and we revere her in, in she's in the highest esteem she's the most she's a wonderful classic. human being and yeah mum was a bit of a spook in a day so she would mm. i remember you know sitting around the table talking about um you know all things esoteric and we'd all be rolling our eyes thinking <laughs> what a nutbag but of course she set me on my you know my journey as well um, yeah, so I, I thank her for that. I thank her for opening up the spirit world to me. And I don't think she fully understood what she was doing. She just had an innate understanding that there was more to life than what we see here on this, you know, earthly plane. Yeah, so definitely. But as, you know, we watch Lilla here in the garden conversing with fairies and she does have dialogue with, with fairies 
and it's just so beautiful and humbling to watch that it has activated our awareness too. And I think that we can't not acknowledge that these elemental spirits are with us and that we have we have a commitment I think to them to to build a relationship to to create awareness to be in nature with them to listen to what we need to know because they have um they have stories they need to tell us too and they they want to cooperate like they're just they're just hanging out for us to ask them for help you know well I think they need us to cooperate I think they need us to understand that they're here for a reason and that we have to build reverence and understanding that, you know, they're here to build, what are they here to do? To create, you know, a relationship with us so that we are respectful with everything we do out here. Because we understand that there's a life form beyond everything that we see that we have to, you know, be aware of and and treat gently. Mm. Well, they, they think... Generally, well, they're they're a bit um, well, not upset, but they kind of don't get, and as as I don't either too, and I'm no saint by any means. You know, the human species attitude to the planet is a resource to be plundered and used oh, and pillaged. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, and we're doing a mighty fine job of that, aren't we? So, perhaps just by creating this awareness, you know, for us as adults, but also the children, we're changing. Um, the attitudes there and we're building their, the relationship. I want Lilla and Lordy to understand that there is just more to nature than meets the eye and I don't want them to be afraid of anything out here. And you're doing a mighty fine job of, of, of you know, building um, or, or in, uh, encouraging that relationship. You do a, a great job. I want them to be digging in the dirt and just to seeing the layers of what goes on beneath that. I, I want them to connect to that. And um, if they understand that there's a spirit in there that attracts them, that they can have a relationship with, they will always have that reverence for. Um, I think that's going to hold them in good stead. Tell, tell me about biome in the context of that as well. Well, you know, we've over-sanitised our world and we've over-sanitised our children and we're all so afraid of letting them play in the dirt that we have to really have a good, long, hard look at ourselves about that because that's the exchange that is so necessary for them to build their their biome. They need to be in the dirt. They need to be able to eat, you know, the sheep shit and, and come home with dirty fingernails and snotty noses and they need to be out there having their body, you know, communicating with the earth. And if they don't, they're not going to be able to build the gut biome that they're going to need for health as they get older. And we've, it's been such a, a tricky thing because we've raised our children in the city where we're all afraid of, of doing that. You know, we over sanitize, we over, you know, clean our children. We bath them too often. We, you know, we mop them up too much. Hose them, hose them down once a week is, is probably enough, I'd say. But when we're out here, that feels okay. The kids can feel a bit grubby and it feels like it should. But when you're in the city, it doesn't, it doesn't, we're all, you know, just making sure they're as pristine as they can be, but it's not serving them. It's just not. Well, um, Terry McCosker in the interview the other week, he said, you know, they bathe once, once, once. They bathe once. They would bathe once, once a once week. Once is a thing. 
once a week, uh, the whole family in a tub, you know, a couple of inches deep of water. Oh God! And he said that was like he, he puts he puts that he puts his good health um, and longevity to, to, to that would be a part of that. Yeah, yeah just the oh, biome, for sure. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. And we got talking about biome. We got to meet um, Doctor Zach Bush two years ago mm-hmm. uh, in Mel Vegas. Well, yeah, of course. And you know, he drives that conversation home. We we have to just take. We have to understand that that's such an important conversation. We all have to change our thinking there. If our if our biomes not being exchanged, that's why we kiss so often, isn't it? Isn't that the reason? <laughs> that's why I don't wash we my beard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to get really drunk tonight, and I'm going to shave it off and not tell you. <laughs> How rude. So I can kiss you again. No, um, yeah, back to the biome. You know, back to the biome. Let's have let's let's talk about that more often. Because there's and it's what now I I watch the kids lick the dog's face, you know, and I remember Zach saying the best way to to exchange your biome is to let your dog dig in the dirt, and then come and kiss your kid. Mm. And once upon a time, that would have freaked me out watching a dog lick my do- my child's face. And now I just think it's a normal, you know, normal exchange and very healthy one. Yes. So any more points on children, bringing children up, health, psychology. Yeah. Not psychology. Well, it is it is my my greatest job. You know, it is the job I take most seriously. It's my vocation, and I've been doing it for a long time. And and nothing to me is more important than looking after the kids. Nothing. And every day, I'm grateful. I wake up and I look at them and I think they're healthy, they're strong, they're here with us. We're together. Is there any better job? Probably not. And and my leveler is, you know, if anything was to happen to the children, everything else would stop. So, you know, I keep that in mind, you know, front and centre every day. Um, and what's the most important thing now for raising children? And it is to build their resilience because we're going to need warriors now and we all know that. The world is changing and it's evolving in a way that mm, is going to be challenging, I think, for this generation, um, and we can't have softies. We, we know we're going to have to build tough kids. And Lilla, who is our 11-year-old who is out in the paddocks with you, is is so adept out here. I think her survival techniques will be so well honed by the time, you know, things start to get prickly in the world. Um, I'm hoping that for, for Lordy as well. And for Venus and Persia, our bigger girls, well, you know, They've they've kind of missed that moment. They're going to have to build their resilience their way. But what we have to to do now is to create a greater awareness of what it is to survive in the world and be self sufficient and and autonomous and and resilient. And that's our job. And that's the one I take most seriously right now. Just on, I want to get to that bit, that next bit, <clears throat> and here, Hannah, and I, future. Um, this is an example. I'm not sure if I shared it on podcast before, but. One of the moments that I was most proud of Lilla in her, she would have been, I reckon she'd been Lordy's age actually, so four. Four. And we were out there burning. I had took yeah, her out there and burning swamp grass out there with a fire torch. And yeah. Um, over a couple of days, it was a couple of afternoons. One, one time she tripped over and nearly got cooked, but that's another story. I don't think you've told you that bit. Docs. Um, but the leading up to that or after it sometime, it was in the daytime and I couldn't the, the fire torch was was um was blocked and I was trying to fiddle with it and you know, they're quite top heavy those things. And um I was there on the road 
and it was wobbling around and she was standing there watching and she just put a little foot on the top to hold it steady. Uh, and I just looked at her and I went, you kind of get it. Like yeah. she saw She's always doing dad, or, you know, the need. dad in need and then she just thought, well, how can I help? I'll put my foot on there, yeah. I'll hold it steady and dad can get that thing cleaned out. And that I just, I, I reference that quite often. How, I mean, I think you, you, you've touched on in terms of, you know, the overused word of regenerative, but kind of a progressive, positively progressive kind of a approach to life. You know, your health, your fitness, your you know your the, the the psychology, or I guess the work you've done. I mean, to me, that's all a that's a big part of I guess inward in you know, internal regeneration. Yes, would be fair to say. Yeah, I think so. It has been a big journey, and and it's an ongoing. Um, you know, a journey. Oh, I've got an itchy ear. Hang on. And then the next, I guess, the the thing that I'm interested in now, for lots of reasons, is what is. I'll make sure I just keep my he- keep my head in that video there. Um, is the uh, we've got the kids up here, kind of in the background a bit too. So if you hear the bit of chirping away there, just life goes on. The um, the the, the journey of Hannah Minow. The future the of the future journey of Hannah Minow. Mm. How, how do you see? What does that look like? And how do you see? What's your role in all that? And how does that kind of help progress your 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 own personal journey? Personal journey. Well, I have learnt now to assert myself a little more out here. Um, I've always felt as though it wasn't my place to progress anything too much. And I've I've supported you in everything, in every endeavour that you've had or wanted to do out here, um, believing that it was your domain and that you understood it, um, you know, innately. I didn't have the awareness of, and the appreciation for it as much as you did. So it was really your bag. And as I said, my relationship with the land has changed just simply be, because watching your journey, your regenerative journey evolve has taught me so much and, and has created such a beautiful awareness and, and, and insightfulness in me about how regenerative farming really translates back to us in terms of regenerative living. And, and I've been stuck on that for quite some time. I just feel like that's, that's the thing we're not talking about, how the effects of what you do out in the paddocks, um, ha- how that has an effect on our lives and, and who we are and how we operate. And so I feel like that part of the story I want to tell out here. So I need to create a nurturing space that enables more learning and encourages more people to come out here and learn how to farm regenerative so that they can turn their lives around and live that way as well. And I think that is also um, has a lot to do with encouraging more women to come out and be in this space. So I need to create a more feminine kind of environment because it is a very masculine culture out here. And I felt that and I've struggled with that a bit, I have to say, um, just not knowing how I fit in and where my groove is here. So I think that in terms of building an education facility here so that you can teach people how to farm regeneratively and biodynamically and all the things that go with that, I want to open up the space to encourage women to be here. I actually want to go back as far as just recreating goddamn sewing circle as simple and as basic and as primal as that so that we can gather we can sit around a fire we can talk about you know personal development 
you know, the elemental spirits. We can talk about food and nutrition and growing food and we can just be slowing our lives down, reconnecting and starting to talk about what regenerative living actually looks like, feels like and how available that is to us. And I don't think that is has been a, a successful pursuit in the city because we're just too distracted, you know, too, there's just too much going on and too many um, moments that are interrupted by our busy lives where we, you know, should be prioritising that sort of gathering more often. We don't. Um, so I think, you know, if we can create a space for people to come here and develop Hanamino as a learning space, I think that would be beautiful. I also want and see the growth of community out here. I want to encourage more like-minded people who are interested in, in being on the land and, and you know, people that want to grow food, that just want to learn how to farm, that just need to be, you know, out here, I guess. So that's the vision I have and I know that that sort of somewhere <laughs> meets your vision and that's why we plan to build um, an education facility out here. And that's that's the ne next project. We've got a few on the go at the moment, but that's that'll be our next priority or mine. That's where I'm headed, babe. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, nah, uh, totally agree. And that's something that we talk about a lot. And I guess there's a timing. There's timing around that. There is timing, <clears throat> but also, I mean, I have no doubt that that will all evolve according to when it's meant to happen. And I guess, as I've stated before, the world you know, it feels like it's unravelling and, and more and more people are looking to be in a space where they can feel more self-sufficient and and the the need to be in community and, and safety in numbers, I guess it is, but to be able to grow food and to feel supported and not be alone um, has never felt more important. And I know that because, you know, we've we've somehow found a new family where we've been, you know, the duality of our life is that we live here on farm but we also spend time in Byron and while we're educating the children we're growing another community up there and they're more interested in being here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's really curious because they're just desperate to get out and be on the land and I just want to have that experience with my newfound friends mm. because I can see that there's an urgency about that and I think it would be really naive to think that we can survive the way we're, we're we're surviving right now into the future. It's that's just going to implode, and and we all know that intuitively. And and got enough data to back that one up. Um, so you know, I'd, I'd I'd like to be able to start building a a sense of communal living out here. How that looks exactly, I'm not sure, because everybody's got to be self sustaining. Um, you know, we can't support the whole <laughs> the universe, but we'll we'll do our best to share what we what we do out here. Tell me about tribes. What's what's sort of you know mm. we we talk about it often that the whole COVID show is kind of the spicy flu. The spicy flu. Spicy flu has kind of um, created interesting dynamics in society, and you know we we often reflect on you know the it's it's been a an opportunity, mm. not one that you know everyone was necessarily looking for but I think at this point realised it probably needed to happen was trying is, is finding their tribe. It totally. I think what's happened is, you know, you either choose to live in fear or to live in, you know, a positive mindset. And I've chosen to see the positives out of what's been going on. As much as I've had my moments of terror, 
and they are real and they are true because the change has been exponential and and my fear i think is born of what what will happen to the children if they don't know the world we the way we know it but that's probably going to be a good thing isn't it you know we're a bunch of softies and we need to toughen up our children so um so tribes you know we naturally gravitate to the place energetically we find our tribes you know they and and when you get rid of the people that don't necessarily vibe into your tribe vibe um, you find that the people that you need the most, that understand the mission that you're on the most, just emerge. And we found that even with our Byron crew, we've opened up a space where people have just gravitated towards us because of our spirit group um, and learning more about, you know, the anthroposophical, um, you know, Steiner-based um, lectures that we're learning i'm just finding that just so fascinating that that's introduced a whole new um tribe to us as well Mm. um and tribes are important we need to feel that you know we're building um a place for our tribe to live and be a support network for each other and i think we can do that out here because that's the way the world used to operate, isn't it? When, <clears throat> when yes. you know, tribal societies were tended to work pretty well. Well, I think the main objective, you know, survival is, um, you know, you've got to look after the planet and you've mm-hmm. got to be making sure that, you know, to enable a tribe to survive and thrive, you've got to, you know, care for Mother Nature and we haven't been doing that. And our tribes are starting to disperse and disband and, and we're all over the place. And I think when you have a like-minded tribe that wants to find a place where we can really have reverence for the planet and each other, um, I think that sounds like a healthier way to live. And I, I'm, I'm happy to kind of opt out of the system for a bit to, to, to see how that goes. You know, like I have no doubt that that's, that's where we'll end up. Well, without going down the rabbit hole, I think there's there's a lot of pushes on on society at the moment. You know, I'm just looking at Australia that there's kind of there's another fork in the road. You know, people can choose to kind of do as they're told, and the convenience of just kind of oh well, I'll just go this way, and it all it feels easy and comfortable, and you know, not challenging and. It does, but that, but that, from what I've been seeing and feeling, it that comes with hidden challenges that are probably wow. a bit down the track. You know, I think so, and I think we can all choose to be um, aware and awake to what is transforming. Not here. woke, no, not woke. I know you hate the woke word, but I, I, you know, like that's a choice. You can be lazy and apathetic and just, you know, barrel continue on the way we've been going. But that's, I think, you're just not looking at the reality of the situation and you're not diving deep enough into the underlying um, issue, well, the underlying um, issues. So, yeah, I choose to read between the lines and there's enough data to support what I'm thinking. I'm not going to lecture anybody in, you know, how to live or or what choices to make here and now because that's not for me to do. I'm just talking to you in a, you know, in a pretty humble setting, just suggesting that I have an inkling that we need to make some changes so that we can survive in the new world because there is a new world order about to, you know, 
take hold and I want to be prepared for that in the best way possible. Um, and taking out the, the context of the last two years and what you see and read, not on mainstream media anyway. Well, we don't watch mainstream media. No. Is that okay to admit that? Totally. Um, <laughs> is, I mean, it's, it, you know, for me it feels like a good, good thing anyway, you know, the focus back on community, the focus on your tribe, you know, well, what, it's, what it's become is a, what, what has been created, whether yeah. we like it or not, is a filter for – it's a friendship filter in a way. Absolutely, it is. And the quality of those friendships is so important right now because, you know, I think we've moved away from anything that wasn't feeling emotionally supportive or, you know, that just wasn't serving us in our lives. And that's sometimes a tricky thing to do, but you have to acknowledge that when you're growing in this space – you have to let go of some things along the way because if they're not serving you, they have to go. Um, and what was the point you were making before? I just was saying about um, go back to uh, building of tribes, the filter, the friendship filter. Yeah, the, the kind of. Um, uh, no, I just had a point to make, but uh, my brain's gone. Um, yeah, so I just think that's something that we're we're going to have to mindfully create. Um, and I want that for the kids too. I want that for the kids to be in a, an environment where they can play, be in nature, learn, mm. create their genius out here. And I, I just don't think the system is supporting that. Uh, I was talking about something about um, – I can't remember. It's gone. It's gone. It happens. I'm sure it will come back. I'm sure it, it will. I'll let it go. Useful. It'll find its way back in. Um, just sure. looking at the time, we are we need to get ourselves going somewhere else anyway. And I am thinking we've still got to do our little Patreon gig, which is the Q and A, little quick Q and A for our Patreon members um, who have signed up for a monthly subscription to our group, our private. Exclu- I don't think like words exclusive. 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 I don't know, it's like being part of a club, and some people are in, and some people are not. <laughs> That's well. Right. That's don't a choice. You dare turn up in denim. No, it's a choice. Double denim. <laughs> what are they called? Canadian um, dinner suit or something. <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, so to <laughs> don't take offence any our Canadian listeners. Uh, we love you. Um, the uh, oh yeah, Patreon. So for the price of you know a couple of couple of um, cafes, chai, organic oat chais, uh, or probably even less actually nowadays. Like eight bucks at pop, Yeah, right? that's right. Um, not, not that much. No. Uh, you get the uh, tra- transcripts of every um, episode, uh, monthly webinar with our guests uh, or a guest that uh, you guys help to choose and also a, a weekly little update video from me. And also if you sign up, and you, um, you've got two months to work out whether you actually want to keep your subscription or not. We will fully refund your um, your two month subscription, um, no questions asked. That's so generous. yeah, well, it's just taking nice. taking the court risk uh, to Glenn Carlson idea, which I loved. Um, you mean Greg? Greg. <laughs> Greg. 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 Love you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, his interview came out a few years ago, and it was a, oh, I've had so much good feedback about oh, that. He's Love, just an awesome person. Lovely, yeah. lovely. What's that noise? There's a mon- monkey in the other room. Ignore Which probably, probably means we should be wrapping up pretty soon. Okay. Oh, one thing, um, oh, I just want to reference Tony Robbins because when yes. we – Oh, yeah, we, we forgot to talk about him and our – Robbo. Robbo. We did, a lot, we did a lot of his stuff, didn't we? I did UPW did. without you. That's right. Four-day course. Or I'll get people. Okay. Hang on. Do you want to sit with mum? Do you want to sit with mum and just have a little little camp? He's ready for sleep. He is ready for sleep. Do you want to just sit on mum's lap? You want to sit on mum's lap for a minute? 
Well, do you want to go and do that and I'll talk about Tony Robbins? No, I love listening about Tony Robbins. Because you've got a crush on Tony. <laughs> crush on him. Um, so UPW and then we did Date with Destiny together. It was just so mind-blowing, wasn't it? days. I think Lily was about this age a bit Yes, late. she yeah. was. It was so Up great. Up in, in the Goldie. Yeah. And then, hang on, buddy. And then there was, um, and I went to Fiji and did um, business mastery for four days, four or five days. That was fantastic. Yes. I must take those up those notes because I um, invaluable. What's up, mate? Oh. Okay. Well, okay. There's one last thing. Oh, and so Robbo, we'll put him in the show notes because he's just fantastic. So many nuggets okay. of gold there and he's still doing it. Goals. You mentioned before about goals. You were trying to dull down the goals thing. Well, I just think it's such a pressure right now with so much else going on that the goal-oriented lifestyle is just wasn't you're just, is, you're, you're just, serving you're me. You're just slapping Tony Robbins in the face. No, no, right no. Now. I love Tony Robbins and it was just so pertinent then in that time of our lives. But the demands outside of, you know, achieving other things, the demands within the family group and dynamic are just so great right now. You know, making sure everybody stays alive and sane and healthy for me is so overwhelming. And maybe I'm investing too heavily in the whole concept, but I just took away the list and and the box ticking because it was causing me grief because I wasn't, I'm just not that multifunctional and I wasn't able to, to satisfy, you know, that goal ticking and it was killing me. So I just went, no, okay. Remove that, that, take that away. Focus on what feels important to you, which is the well, health and well-being of my family and myself. That's a full-time freaking job. Mm. I'm sorry. And if you're able to manage the, you know, dynamic career and the children and the husband and the beautiful marriage and healthy food on the table every day, good on you. Uh, like, I, I think you're brilliant. But I just can't do it. Like, so something had to give. It's on. Yeah. Oh, what a good boy. And so, um, no goals for me this this year. This year, anyway. We'll set goals, but they have to be simplified. They can't be too outlandish. Well, I guess. Just make, hang it, on. make them smart. The goal we've made for here is mm. to achieve all the things we just discussed, yep. which is to create community, bring people back to the land, share the wisdom and knowledge of biodynamics and regenerative farming. Be true to that. That's a goal. But it doesn't yeah. seem overwhelming because it's part of the lifestyle we already live. Yeah. We're kind of we're on, we're on, we're, that's in the pipeline. What's that, buddy? You are, he wants one of those Arnott's trucks. Do you want yeah, one of those trucks truck, up there? Grab a truck, darling. Grab a truck. Grab it, darling. And then just keep, keep quiet for a minute. Your great-grandfather's collection. Yeah. Pretty Don't cute. trash it. Yeah. It's been around a while. Yeah. So is that does that make sense? Not totally. You can have one of those, darling. Yeah. Well, you can look at it. <laughs> He can have it. You'll score it one day. No, have a look. Glue it together. I didn't want you to say that. No, Daddy's being facetious. Dad, how rude. So So we're going to wrap it up. um, And for the Patreon peoples, you're going to get the extra bit, which you're going to do straight away. Um, If you're interested, get on charliearnott.com.au, click on the Patreon button, and you will be finding yourself with all sorts of other cool show um, transcripts and monthly webinars and a weekly update from me. A so private. does that mean someone's going to transcribe Mommy. again just how we met? Mom, <laughs> yeah, it'll be written. Oh, God. Mama's getting two. That's there's great. There's two of them. Um, Angelica. Yeah, Did you have another question for me? Oh, no, was, that, was, was there one that I said yeah, I need to ask the, you? You were going to ask me a question and I No, was, no future no? here, Robbo. Okay, Carls, that's fine. That was it. We've got Q&A. All right, next. well, I hope I just 
didn't dribble. No, I was fantastic. I can't believe you didn't cry. I thought you'd be going to be no, crying. No, I more. think I was probably a bit nervous. So, you know, you're just warming me up now. I think we could get started now, if you like. What do you mean? I'm oh, interview. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about something. so Benny Hill. I thought you were talking about something. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks, everyone. Um, do your patience, for your patience, because of the interruption there in the middle. It was a very fraught conversation, but it was a. Fraught. It was just a little conversation that we probably... I'm grateful for having. Yes, I'm, I'm yeah. grateful that you wanted to share. Well, I'm grateful for you. Got over your anxiety. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story, isn't it? We'll talk about that next time. Oh, we've got Q&A now. Thanks, Angelica. Thanks, Charlie Arnett. <laughs> and the guest on next week's episode of The Regenerative Journey is Anna Rubenstein, a doctor who's doing some wonderful work in the rites of passage space uh, with you know, connecting parents with their children and vice versa. And... Uh, uh, caught up with Arna at his farm just outside of Mullumbimby in the northern rivers of New South Wales uh, not too long after some floods and a series of floods had come through and caused some devastation on his little farm there. Uh, but Arna thankfully gave me a few minutes of his time, <laughs> a few hours of his time, I should say. We had a wonderful chat. Next week on The Regenerative Journey, Arna Rubenstein. This podcast is produced by Rhys Jones at Jaeger Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, share, rate and review. For more episode information, please head over to www.charliearnett.com.au.